0: Welcome to Places, Everyone, a conversation about the balance of art and business. I'm Lonnie Firestone. Artists are known for being socially conscious and charity-minded, perhaps because art often stems from observing the inequities of society. The very essence of storytelling, whether in the form of a novel, a play, a scripted TV series, a film, dance, or music composition, draws on our genuine interest in the wide range of human experiences— and the ability to be sensitized to another person's pain. This is why the humanities are essential to our education. Adam Cantor is an artist who thinks about this a lot, and who devotes much of his time to activism and philanthropy. On stage, he's known for his Broadway and off-Broadway roles in Rent, Avenue Q, The Last Five Years, Fiddler on the Roof, and The Band's Visit. Offstage, he's the co-founder of StoryCourse, a curated dining program that tells the stories of marginalized people through shared meals and diverse menus. Two of StoryCourse's events explore the immigrant experience in America, and a third, titled Pride Table, offers LGBTQ chefs an opportunity to tell their stories of struggle and acceptance. Adam curates each program with elements of theater woven in so that the chef's narration comes to life. By donating proceeds to support LGBTQ youth, or by boldly advocating for immigrants and refugees, these events attempt to foster connections between people of different backgrounds. At the center of each story course evening is the question, how does food tell a story? We'll explore that in this episode, as well as the ways in which, as Adam puts it, the art feeds the activism, which in turn feeds the art. This is my interview with Adam Cantor. Hello, Adam. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So today I want to talk about activism and philanthropy as an artist. Um, It's something that I see a lot in your work and that I've been really struck by. And I wanted to start by asking you, what was your relationship to activism and to charity and giving as a child?
1: I think I was always influenced by... My grandparents, they were always very active in, in terms of giving back. My uh, grandparents were very involved with the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, and they started um, an organization, I think is under the umbrella of the ADL, called World of Difference, which gave educators the tools to fight uh, racism. And they also helped start... Uh, An organization called the north shore family and child guidance center and it's a it's a counseling center for families and children uh, helping heal uh, trauma so they from an early age i sort of saw this kind of activism
0: and then how did those kinds of experiences inform your feelings on it as an adult in terms of philanthropy and in terms of civic engagement
1: I think it was just something that I, I saw that it was important to do and to take part in, and it was something that I, I'm I think privileged enough to to be able to do. But I also feel like it's it's my duty to give it when I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean I think the interesting the overlap between the arts world and the humanitarian world is so such a strong mm-hmm. overlap, and it seems like you had maybe a more auspicious. Um, entry than most because you were cast in the Broadway production of Rent Upon Graduating from Northwestern undergrad. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So do you feel like as a result, maybe you skipped over some of that professional meandering? That Are you asking people-
1: if I have like internalized Jewish guilt that I need to <laughs> like express and how, um, you know, it's interesting. Yes. I mean, Not
0: specifically.
1: I- <laughs> I definitely yes. I felt in the beginning that I that I skipped a lot of steps, but then I felt like I actually went back and and uh, retraced those steps in a way because after Rent close I didn't work for I didn't really work at that level for for a few years, and so I I, I went back and I did I did the off the off off Broadway the regionals mm-hmm. the, the the steps that I felt in some ways I skipped over. And of course I like you know I had the agent, but I think the philanthropy thing came even before. I mean it goes back really to college, actually, I was in an acapella group called Thunk, short for Melodious Thunk, as in Thelonious <laughs> Monk. And we were doing a gig in downtown Chicago, and the South African consulate general was there, and they were like, you should take your music to South Africa. And we were like, okay. So we um, we just thought, I think at the time, we were like, oh, that sounds like a sweet, you know, spring break moment. Like, let's... <laughs> go to South Africa and do some concerts. And so their office helped organize some concerts down there, and, all, and one of which was in a township. So we went to Cape Town. We raised some money. We, we went to Cape Town. We didn't have that much of a strong, you know, philanthropic or nonprofit, like, uh, angle behind it. So we went, and then we were doing I – remember, I remember the turning point, which then kind of informed the next, like, decade of my life, which was um, we were – in a church in a township like uh, outside of Cape Town you know it's when you when you drive from the airport in Cape Town to the city center you pass miles and miles of corrugated tin roof t- tiny homes and miles of townships that you sort of most tourists i think kind of avert their eyes until you get to the wealthy white lavish beautiful you know this area of Cape Town where most vacationers spend their time and i think we all saw that and we were like what? We just sort of skipped over something. And we went, we did one concert in a church in a town, in one of these townships. And uh, we felt welcomed into a community that we never would have found ourselves. And they sang for us and it, it it was so beautiful. And we had this sort of, this deep exchange. And we thought, okay, we have to come back and we have to have a lot more of that kind of experience these cross-cultural exchange moments and also take what we know in terms of the arts education the training that we've had and um, structure some kind of outreach for the young people who have so many natural gifts but don't necessarily have the access to a kind of training so we went back and we a couple years later we raise the money again and the a cappella group returned and this time uh, did much more of that outreach work and then a bunch of us graduated and I landed in rent and one of the, the guys in the a cappella group who sort of led that program he was in the Lion King and in Lion King on Broadway there were many South African cast members and he was telling them of the work that we did and they said oh you have to Keep doing this and let's make this a thing and we can connect with our communities and um, we created what became known as broadway in south africa but the purpose of the whole thing was empowering the young people giving them this sort of uh, what we call like the ability to dream and to, to 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 imagine beyond their circumstances all of the beautiful things that we know theater can do um
0: that's a pretty amazing experience
1: yeah it was it was very Life-changing, and it and it really took the creation of Broadway in South Africa, and then the running of that organization, which happened from when I started Rent in 2008. We did it for like five years after that, six years, and we would go down to South Africa. Uh, I would go like twice a year for like a month each, and a lot of my time here when I wasn't in a show was devoted to fundraising. I mean, I remember being in Avenue Q and like backstage behind scenes having like a puppet on one of my arms and like at the time my Blackberry in the other (laughs) arm between scenes like emailing you know uh, logistical things for our Broadway South Africa fundraiser (laughs) so it really took a lot of me but it's sort of that's sort of been the theme I mean I'm now doing immersive food theater experiences that also have a mission behind it yeah
0: well I think I want to get to that in depth but before that It it just seems amazing that something so accidental became so formative for you. Because that could have easily been, well, first of all, to even go on that trip and not just have it have been a fun college idea that didn't pan out, as so many college ideas don't. (laughs) (laughs) But that it panned out and that it also was a launch pad. I think it kind of speaks to where your mind already was. Sometimes you see people who, become spokespeople for certain organizations or platforms or causes because they have gone through something. And it's like, it wasn't just the incident that propelled them into activism. Sometimes that's a very motivating factor. I think anyone who attends Broadway shows has probably seen performances where cast members gather outside after the theater and collect money, usually Mm -hmm. for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. One, I'm just curious why... Broadway Cares became the prominent organization for mm. Broadway fundraising, and what do you see more generally as the relationship between Broadway artists and philanthropy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're pretty damn good at giving back, and think I don't want to misquote, and I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of the history of the formation of Broadway Cares, but of course, our community was deeply hurt by the AIDS crisis, and so many of us were lost to it. So I think that w- that came in reaction to that. We need to do something as a community to fight back and to help. Now, of course, Broadway Cares continues to support people living with HIV and AIDS, and they support myriad of other uh, causes, including Broadway in South Africa and uh-huh. Story Course, which I know we'll get to.
0: Oh, I see. So they, they widen the umbrella.
1: Oh, yeah. They, they provide grants. And Tom Viola, who runs that, is like He's like my angel. I go to him first for anything I'm working on. And, mm-hmm. you know, even during Fiddler on the Roof, because that experience was so, uh, in so many ways, about uh, the refugee crisis today, I went to Tom and I said, is it possible that a, a portion of what we raise for Broadway Cares, Equity, Fights, AIDS can go directly towards the refugee crisis because it, it's, it's meaningful to us as a cast? And he right away said, of course.
0: That's awesome. I, I remember I <clears throat> I spoke to you kind of briefly on the phone a few years ago when I was writing an article about the cast of Fiddler mm-hmm. giving money to real-life refugees. Is that common or unusual for a show to take up a cause that links to a timely theme within the musical? It seems like you had this rare moment because the Syrian refugee crisis was so pronounced at the time that Fiddler was running.
1: Yeah, I think it was the timing of that. And because of the re- during the rehearsals for Fiddler, yeah, there were headlines every day. And, and in fact, a lot of the images from Fiddler were taken from the New York Times. I mean, the, there was a, a...
0: What do you mean the images? Like a
1: lot of the... the some of the costume design, for example. Uh-huh. And the image, the final image of uh, the cast walking in a circle against sort of a white backdrop where you just see kind of our silhouette in a mm-hmm. circle was was very much inspired by an image that Bart Scher brought into rehearsal one day of refugees kind of lined up against the horizon and all you see is their silhouette walking. Um, and So that final image of us just walking was very much taken from an image that was happening at the time. hmm Yeah.
0: And I think besides that production of Fiddler being just so beautifully staged and acted, I think also that those final moments were especially powerful because the the contemporary framing with Danny Burstein in the modern-day code and the the circling and with Hofez Schechter using the choreography to sort of mimic what appeared to be prayer, mm-hmm. like men bowing in prayer. Mm-hmm. And you got the impression of being farther from home but maintaining all of those little touchstones yes. um so it all resonated very much and i feel like it it felt like the timeliness of it sadly made the play that much more
1: yeah.
0: uh profound yes.
1: Um, yes
0: so let's talk about story course okay from what I've gathered, which has been some actually amazing press so far, so congrats yeah, thank on you. that. Uh, Story Course is a storytelling culinary experience that you founded with Brian Bordanic, who is the creator of the dining series Dinner Lab, and it is a series that seems to blend a lot of your passions: theater, food, world travel, and it tells stories through diverse menus. And it combines these sort of elements of live performance with all the taste buds bringing up emotional points of reference Mm to the the places of home of the chefs. So I have to say, it sounds more like a business venture than as like a side gig an actor would take up Mm -hmm. between (laughs) projects. So... What were your thoughts about the time commitment it would entail, and the reasons that it seemed worthwhile? <laughs> because you have a you have I, an active
1: career. I ask myself that every day. You know? Okay, it is <laughs> it is a lot. It is it is and it's a huge part of my life um, and takes up a lot of of time and energy for sure. But it is it does feel like the merger of so many things, as you say, so many of my passions. It's allowing a level of creativity that. I've never really had before. I mean, for for hmm. example, for our last experience, which was called Pride Table, which was throughout the month of the, just this past June of 2019, um, which is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, and it was World Pride in New York City. Um, we had five LGBTQ chefs um, and five stories. So each each one took a different chapter. So there are five chapters, five courses, each – Chapter slash course was cooked by a different chef and their story was told in an interactive way culminating in their food Um, So but with with the creation of that, I mean I really was I I interviewed like I do with all of our experience. I I interview the chefs and I adapt their story So I'm I'm operating kind of as a writer in that sense and then with fry table. I also directed it so I was You know, I was I was very much involved in in uh, the staging and and it's a, it's a very collaborative process so the storytellers are very much a part of that. yeah and then also working with the chefs to devise what their how their food will function and what it will look like and what it'll taste like and how it will relate to the story um, So anyway, it, it feels highly creative to me yeah. Um, and also I do think uh, it's it, it, it's a business. I mean, there are ways in which, look we're not uh, right now we're not like in in a in like at the profit margin but we see we're looking at how do we get there and i think there's a clear path um to make it into something sustainable but also it's it's a project that gives back i mean their last for pride table we gave proceeds to the Hetrick Martin Institute which is the nation's oldest and largest lgbtq youth services organization and for the production of Pride Table we employed a lot of the young people from HMI so like over the course of the spring from March to June we would conduct after-school workshops at HMI in storytelling, performance, uh, hospitality, cooking and after over the course of these few months um, we ended up hiring uh, like a dozen of these young people to serve as servers, as storytellers, Hmm. as one of them was one of the five chefs whose story we told. Um, And we gave a bunch of acting debuts and culinary debuts to these young people and we paid them for it in addition to giving um, financial proceeds to the organization that they came from. So yeah, it was was a culmination of of a lot of things.
0: Yeah. So is the intention for you and Brian to continue it as as a business that can make a profit can also be charitable.
1: This is the big question right now is what is how to balance those things? Because uh, we think there's look for, for companies, immersive dining experiences are, are very much in demand. And, and for, you know, companies, big fortune 500 companies around the world are doing these kinds of events Mm -hmm. constantly. And, um, so the question is, can we create a, a model where we can do that kind of work and to be able to sustain ourselves and sustain the organization and build infrastructure, but also be able to create uh, experiences that don't necessarily make us money, but can really give back to the community. So we're figuring out how to how to be able to do both if we can, do all of it.
0: So I saw in some of the press that you've had some high profile guests. So Mm -hmm. besides people in the Broadway theater world who are well known outside of that world, I saw in the one that you did about the Passover Seder, um, you had Katie Couric and Ronan Farrow and Anthony Porowski from Queer Eye. What do you hope that some of these high profile guests do with this experience besides enjoy their evening?
1: (laughs) I think because they have such high visibility, with a, with an experience like Pride Table, for example, just the fact that, you know, it was on the Today Show, for example, gives mm-hmm. a platform, a much, much wider platform than these experiences could provide on their own. I mean, we had about 700 guests come through Pride Table, but the Today Show has millions of Instagram followers. And yeah. for people across the country to see, uh, to, to, to experience their voices and to hear what they have to say and maybe not be able to taste it with their taste buds, but see it and taste it in some sense i think helps bridge these gaps that might exist and allows for a level of exposure that that is important in making the world a, a, a seemingly smaller or more empathetic mm-hmm. place to be to live in
0: with pride table was that the first of your events that had a donation component
1: yeah yeah the, looking back they've all had this desire to to break down walls, like I'm talking about. I mean, for example, with our, we did p- two Passover Seder experiences and the, f- uh, they each of them, actually, we've had refugees speak about their own, mm-hmm. you know, crossing of the Red Sea, their own journeys of slavery to freedom. And actually all story course experiences that we've done, whether it be How Do You Hug a Tiger, which is a Korean chef's journey told through six of her courses, or Omid, which is an Iranian chef's family story of exodus from Tehran, Uh, to North America, they've all sort of been inspired by this origin story of slavery to freedom. Even intrinsically, like breaking down the walls that already we know exist between culinary arts and theater arts, they're not really merged. Like people are surprised immediately by that wall that gets broken down. Um, How can food tell a story? What? What does that even mean? (laughs) So I think your mind is already open to, to, to breaking down walls on a visceral level. And then Yeah, we we try to highlight voices that we know a lot of our immediate audience base of ticket buyers uh, might not encounter on a a day-to-day basis. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, speaking of the food telling a story, in the description of the menu of Chef Jae Jung, the Korean chef you mentioned, it was talking about how the two different places that informed her culinary learning, Korea and New Orleans, Mm -hmm. were coming up in different elements of her dishes. And that as one progressed through the various courses of her meal, the flavors became more infused with Southern American flavors Mm -hmm. and somewhat less um, imbued with Korean ingredients (laughs) and I almost started to cry when I read it it actually reminded me so much of Fiddler
1: it is so Fiddler I'm so glad you said that (laughs) it is so and I kept bringing that up throughout the throughout the process of doing How Do You Tug a Tiger and I think maybe the writing of it or my adapting of it and and my like Collaborating with Jay on Chef Jay on the dishes was probably very influenced because I was doing fiddler at the time. Yeah, but it really strikes this. It, it, it's all about this balance of tradition and modernity, and you know, breaking away from uh, you know your upbringing from family, but also maintaining your roots, holding onto your roots, and how so we do that. Much. It is so fiddler on the roof um, that that is very much there in in that experience. It just made me think,
0: like each of the dishes were like each of the daughters. Yes,
1: totally, <laughs> totally. It's true. It's very, very true. It really is fiddler. It's like yeah, it's a Korean Jewish, <laughs> subtly Jewish dining experience. Yeah, and so, actually, with with How Do You Hug a Tiger, the guests themselves are the storytellers. The way that at mm-hmm. a traditional Passover seder. We are. So in other words, we, the script that we created, we didn't have performers for that one. We created a script and then the guests are handed like the Haggadah, which for us is like our script at Passover. Sure. So the guests are telling the story. For Pride Table, we had storytellers, some of whom were HMI young people with some interactivity where the guests read. A- Do
0: you think of Story Course as a kind of activism?
1: Yes. I mean, of course, directly with something like Pride Table, it is because we're giving funds to a an- to HMI, but each one has a different, I think, sense of rebellion to it. Pride Table was very much outright a a rebellion of um, voices that often feel like they are marginalized and not heard, being heard and not only being heard, but being swallowed, literally being consumed, mm-hmm. like in a very delicious way. Um, <laughs> we, we also tried to make sure that it was not just for queer communities, that it was for allies and even... More importantly or most importantly, people that might not know that they're allies right. or just humans that don't have any idea of what they're getting themselves into um, and have been completely unexposed to these kinds of communities. And you know what? I don't know, but I actually hope that there were – I don't know how they would have made their way into these doors, but I hope that there were people that might have had some kind of homophobia that walked or, – or anti-trans sentiment or anti-queer sentiment walk through – Pride table because I think by the end of it, you get such such a sense of community and such a sense of this journey that is so innately relatable, I think, to any human being of, again, quote unquote, slavery to freedom or erase to scene or, you know, struggle to acceptance. Mm-hmm. Everyone can relate to that. And I think when you see it through the prism of a certain community that deals with it um, on such a profound and Constant and unfortunately um, systemic b- basis. Uh, it's hard not to empathize and come around to it. And I, I'm proud to feel like I think we structured it in such a way that was um, that it, that it was moving for everybody. I mean, we saw consistently every night people in tears by the end of their dinner, crying. Hopefully not because it's too spicy, but because <laughs> they're moved by this this merger of worlds.
0: Yeah. And that's always the challenge, isn't it? With that kind of effort where you want to go beyond the most immediate circle of people who are already totally on board. Sure. So yes, I think also with the first two events, it seems like the activist standpoint is perhaps being boldly pro-immigrant with yes. the, the guest speaker you had for the Seder and the two chefs.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. With with the satyrs, with... How do you hug a tiger? With Omid, we also did. Um, yeah, we did. An, we did a Sukkot experience, another Jewish holiday, which asked the questions around what is home and what, what does home mean to us, and what so that and that also had a sort of pro-immigrant uh, theme, I would say, behind it.
0: Yeah, definitely, like that kind of um, transitional kinds of not being um, stable in one space kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So. There's a really amazing New York Times piece that was done about the Seder. And it includes so many like amazing photos and music samples and links to poetry that one of the guests did. And it's just like an amazing feature piece.
1: Yes, Katie Rothman and, wrote it. Yeah, it
0: was, it's, I think everyone should read it and listen to it. And the <laughs> song is so great. And um, there's also this great picture of you and Benj Pasek singing Dayenu <laughs> that like- <laughs> With
1: Katie Couric, right?
0: Warmed my heart. <laughs> And I'm wondering, because you have um, a sort of a knack for knowing Jewish heritage and holidays and, and the the meaning behind it, not just like the, the PR elements, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sometimes surround holidays. <laughs> um, what was your vision in blending tradition with more global themes?
1: I think it's just about making it palpable for an audience today and making it less theoretical and less kind of like in the book and making it immediate and because then it, it loses meaning right so we always look at with these holidays like Sukkot or Seder what, what what is this today and how is this occurring really right now and can we actually like invite the humans you know who are dealing with this in very real ways to speak about their experiences and yes we will curate it and Benj will sprinkle his storytelling fairy dust onto it and will create a narrative <laughs> arc of the whole thing. The struggle is, you know, well, not the struggle, the, the, the beautiful challenge of all of this work, especially when dealing with first-person narrative, um, which all of these experiences do, is how to maintain authenticity of the story, um, but also structure it in such a way that we know will impact an audience, you know, without losing the authenticity and the voice of the of the person whose experience you know we are uh we're diving into so it's just about it's just about making it immediate and 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 crafting all of hopefully our skills and our backgrounds and creating stories and theater um and moving an audience
0: yeah there seem to be some other types of involvement that you've been working with you um mentor high schoolers I read and you do some work a lot of benefit concerts with actors fund is this the norm of the kind of engagement you see around you with your artist community oh I don't
1: know I mean I think every, I, you know I I also feel like I, I feel like it's important to say I, I I think it's enough just you know even to say just I don't I don't like to say it's enough to do your art <laughs> that is enough <laughs> that is more than enough and I think sometimes I have to tell myself that too honestly Um I wonder, and not to get into like a therapy session here, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if like, do I do I do so much because I'm less confident that simply the art is enough? Uh, and then in moments of greater strength and when I'm <laughs> not in a, in a typical spiral of myself and narcissism and blah, 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 I think, no, I'm doing it because I just want to and because I can, and it's it can be that simple. Um, but that's not to say that it's it's a, not to be, it feels antithetical to like perhaps the purpose of this whole interview, which is to inspire activism. But I I don't feel like it should ever come out of guilt, or, you know, or that anybody yeah. should feel like oh I must do more. But um, <clears throat> it can be a wonderfully for me, it's just been a wonderfully creative outlet to collaborate with awesome individuals and with individuals that really inspire me. Um, and it's this feeding machine like the the sh- like in the case of fiddler on the roof the 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 show fed the activism fed the show fed the activism. it's it's a beautiful cycle it's it is an inspiring one and every time i do a story course experience like pride table yes at the end of it i am so depleted and exhausted and sometimes <laughs> questioning what was i thinking trying to you know t- to make that herculean lift but also like deeply inspired, grateful for the people that I got to collaborate with, grateful that I got to move and change so many other people. Um and uh grateful, yeah, just 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 grateful.
0: Yeah. I'm always moved when I see certain entertainers who really take a passion for a certain cause to the sort of the next level of activism and we've seen that in sort of recent weeks with John Stewart. Um going to Congress to demand funding for the 9-11, first responders. Uh, What do you think is an issue that would bring you to the next level of activism?
1: Oh, boy. Oh, there's just so many. (laughs) Uh, Recently, my mind has been on the environment. It just feels like I, I, I feel like I have a lot more learning, honestly, to do. And I want to learn more about what I can do. Are things salvageable? Are we just screwed? That—that's something I want to dig into. Yeah, that—that that, I—that I'm feeling sort of far from. Um, I feel like that is—that's my next little project.
0: Would that be a, a story course of the future?
1: Maybe I'm trying to think of how to humanize it and make it and create a narrative arc out of that. I mm-hmm. don't know yet. I'm so at the beginning of like. How do we make well, that? Well,
0: sustainable f- food.
1: Right. But, like, what do you do? You create a character? It's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to, yeah, I'm trying to think of what that looks like, how it looks like. I'm also interested in, um... we were talking about just food events, that we, how we gather as Americans over food. And, of course, Thanksgiving is, like, the thing. And yet we so rarely actually talk about hmm. The indigenous mm. people of our country and like that's sort of the elephant in the room i think whether we address it or not over so many thanksgivings so i'm kind of interested in exploring that a little bit as well
0: i like that and where can people find out more
1: you can go to storycoursenyc.com <laughs> thank you for asking
0: <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me adam it's been thank a pleasure you for
1: having me true pleasure
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow Places Everyone on Twitter. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time.